Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where... So, when I entitled the last episode, Standing Pat, I meant it in, like, a punny, Patrick Beverly is now a Lakers standing tall sort of way. Not in a, that is exactly what the Lakers are going to do for the rest of the offseason kind of way. Stand Pat. Literally. Jesus. In today's episode, are the Lakers standing pat? By playing Pat next to Westbrook? Who knows at this point? But what we do know is, with the last big domino of the offseason falling, with Donovan Mitchell having been traded to the Cleveland Cavaliers, and the Lakers now looking squarely down the barrel of a Kevin Pritchard and Danny Ainge gun, standing Pat may just be what the Lakers have to do. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Tommy Alexander and Alan Riley. Tommy... Gut reaction, are the Lakers standing pat, or do they still have time to patty-cake, patty-cake, traders man? Whatever that means. Trade me a trade <laughs> as fast as you can. Yeah, so answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> the Lakers are trying to stand pat, yeah, that's what it seems like. Oh, Jesus. Okay, Alan, how you doing? I'm good. I'm hot. How you doing? <laughs> Are you any good at patty cake? Um, I, I Back in the day, I was known as a pretty good patty cake player, but a little bit rusty right now. I would have to brush up a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think I could. It's like riding a bike, you know. Right, right. All right. Well, anyways, in today's episode, we'll be talking more about the Lakers' dwindling trade options, where everything stands now for their hopes of trading Westbrook, now that the Knicks are seemingly no longer part of discussions and the Jazz have some veterans left to still try and get rid of. But first, please rate and review us five stars on the Apple Podcast app. If you've already done so or don't use the Apple Podcast app, then please click the five-star button on our Spotify page. We were originally trying to get 105 stars before training camp starts, but just help us get to 50 at this point because I think we're like 15 five-stars away on Spotify. So the more times you tap that five-star button on Spotify, that is a degree less of heat you'll be feeling during this global, warmingly hot summer. Um, Alan, let's start off this episode with you because Tommy and I already did our initial reaction podcast to the trading of Patrick Beverly, and we know there's a lot of other stuff going on with the Donovan Mitchell domino having fallen, but I wanted to quickly get your reaction on Patrick Beverly being 
a Laker. And then in conjunction with that, losing THT and Stanley Johnson. So yeah, your, your initial Pat Bev thoughts. Yeah, um, I mean, I feel like I'm going to echo what a lot of Laker fans kind of feel and how they think. Um, you know, when you watch Patrick Beverly play against any team that isn't the Lakers, I feel like you really appreciate him a lot, right? Um, I was watching, of course, a bunch of his like defensive highlights um, just to remove that kind of like Laker bias that we have. Uh, so some things that like stood out to me was, I think we all know this, but we, we can appreciate it more now is that he, he does defend the other team's best player more times than not, right? So I saw a lot of clips of him, for example, defending Luka Doncic and just frustrating the hell out of him. And not only is Luka, you know, one of the top 5, 10 NBA players right now, um, Luka's a lot bigger <laughs> than Pat Bev. Um, Pat Bev can guard positions one through four-ish, I would say, at any given time. Um, and I think that in, in some ways, you know, people say, oh, Pat Bev, he's so pesky, he's a pest, he's annoying, he's this, he's that, that's what makes him great. I think that's a huge disservice to him, you know? I, I think that he's mm -hmm. actually a lot smarter, and uh, yeah. as, as opposed to, like, a... And I'm not saying, like, Matthew Delvadova, like isn't smart or whatever, but he's, like, very pesky. And um, I, I guess you do need to use, like, some of your intellect in order to be that way, but um, his his IQ is very, very high, and you can see it whether he's playing one-on-one -on -one defense, again, multiple positions, whether he's playing team defense, the way that he reads passing lanes, the way that he's able to block shots from the blind side on guys who are much taller than him, Um that, that isn't just like a guy who's gritty and has a lot of dog in him while those things are true. Um, so I, I think that that's something that people should be paying attention to and appreciate. And yeah, he, he has a lot of antics, a lot of his body language after he makes these plays, he's like really flexing and puffing his chest out and jutting out his lower jaw and stuff like that. And that that's just his personality. Um, so I, I'm excited. You know, I was at a Dodger game <laughs> when I found out the news uh, one of my cousins texted me. He was just like, Lakers trade for Pat Bev. And I was like, what the heck? Um, it was a really frustrating Dodger game that I was at. It was one of the very few times that like they played poorly and lost. So it was okay to like get distracted and go on my phone for a second. Um, so yeah, that's how I feel about Pat Bev. <clears throat> as far as the guys that we lost in the trade. Um, again, I, I don't want to have like redundant thoughts. But uh, THT, like, yeah, we became like quite enamored with them. I think a lot of... I know for me, I was like, oh, man, like, what can't this guy do? Like, there there are times, right, when we would say things like that, and he still has that potential. Um, but as far as just the fit on this team right now, you know, he's a player who needs the ball. There are certain areas of his game where he hasn't developed in ways where, you know, we need him. Um, so I think it's fine, you know, to move on. It, it hurts a little bit because he's one of the few guys that – won that championship now we only have two he's the players. last he's the last guy exactly. Yeah, exactly it's just lebron and ad um and you know we all remember that game in the bubble where all of a sudden vogel inserted him and he busted out his layup package and we're like oh my gosh like this guy just came out of nowhere and um you know best of luck to him of course with these uh new opportunities he'll have uh, Stanley Johnson was a guy that I was looking forward to seeing again this year for like mm -hmm. specific reasons based on what we saw from this season. So that one in an odd way, even though we don't have like the same history, um, with, with THT, 
that one is like a little more not disappointing the way that you think but like i was excited to watch him so i planned on you know seeing his growth and now that yeah. we're not going to have that chance you know that one stings well a little his bit too. his ethos with darvin ham just seemed to sync up so perfectly too so you could you didn't have to take as big of a leap in projecting out how he'd succeed versus THT, because he already showed us last year, right? So it was just additional development on top of that. But no, you're right. Um, the only other Patrick Beverly thought that I want to add, since we gave most of it on the last podcast, is I don't know what's going to happen to Max Christie if we keep him beyond two years, but if there was ever any player that Max Christie could learn under, it's freaking Patrick Beverly, because Max Christie already has the defensive fundamentals. So for him to be tutored by a guy like Pat Bev... I can only imagine how much of his learning process is going to get expedited, right? So I'm, I'm now I'm actually excited even more uh, for Max Christie, whereas before I was just like, what is this dude doing on this roster taking up a legitimate roster spot? Now I'm hoping he's on the bench and not just in the G League all the time because I want him to be in those practices with Pat Bev, you know, roughing it up and all that stuff. So, um, Tommy, do you have any additional Pat Bev thoughts? And I kind of want to steer the direction a little bit more towards... Last episode, when we traded for Pat Bev, we were surmising that, oh, there's another domino soon to come. But why is there like this pit in my stomach where I feel like we may actually roll out Patrick Beverly alongside Russell Westbrook? And, and for me, I'm starting to think, you know, there are conflicting reports and you can believe what you want to believe. It sounds like Rob's been very active on one end. It seems like he's been intent on trying to trade Russell Westbrook since the beginning of free agency. And then there's the other side where people have also reported that the Lakers are prepared to go into training camp with Russell Westbrook and both sides are prepared to do that. It's pretty much the same sort of stuff we've been hearing since the beginning of July, end of June. Um, so, for you, do you have any additional thoughts on Patrick Beverly? And I'm starting to think that Pat Bev may just be like this sort of band-aid for the season or lipstick on a pig. I think that's the idiom, right? Putting lipstick on a pig for this upcoming Lakers season that may or may not still feature Russell Westbrook and may sort of be in another stop-gap hamster wheel sort of mode, especially after re-signing LeBron James. The Lakers obviously had to do something, and now I'm kind of worried that Patrick Beverly may be it. Are you worried at all about that? <laughs> I just, yeah, I am actually. Um, I I don't really understand the move. I mean, I think our reaction at the time to, you know, in the sense of like, there, this must mean that Russ is on the way out, I still kind of, you know, feel that way i i guess ultimately but i don't i don't understand like you know the thing is this team has done so many crazy things right so i just like i can't process really what is them being crazy versus what is them actually you know having some sort of game plan moving forward so like russ they can say whatever they want about him but what has made russell westbrook russell westbrook and not like kobe bryant or like the other like insanely never-ending motor, you know, high-intensity type superstars we've seen over time is the fact that Russell Westbrook is not able to, like, channel his aggression as well as, you know, some of these other guys have been able to. And Pat Bev coming in and just, like, the second this dude gets a steal from Russell Westbrook in, you know, in, like, 
training camp drills or whatever, it's going to be like an all out brawl. You know what I mean? And they have to know this. <laughs> they have to know that like, you're not just going to be able to turn off like that many years of animosity. So I am very concerned that this pad Bev thing is just like, that's it. That was the plan. And now they feel like they have enough guys or whatever, but I, I just don't, it's hard. It's like too hard for me to read what they're doing at this point. The other thing, too, with Patrick Beverly's personality, because as you mentioned, he's a guy who not only amps his teammates up, but he'll amp the crowd up, right? And so I'm almost like, are they picturing Patrick Beverly to be the stopgap band-aid for everything, including getting the fans involved, even though they're disappointed that moves weren't made? But here's Patrick Beverly looking him on the court. He's riling everybody up on the simplest plays, and we're like, yeah, okay, we can get on board with that, even though we look at the standings and we're like five games below 500, you know? So I'm just worried that Patrick Beverly is this stand-in mascot for the year who can tide us over, stem the tide by being this hustle energy guy that the fans can at least appreciate while we sort of try and figure out what the hell we're doing, you know? And if that's the case, then what was Rob doing the last two and a half months, you know? Was he literally just waiting for Kyrie Irving and not making contingency plans? Anyways, before we get, before we turn it to our first break and start talking about, like, how things have changed with regards to the Indiana Pacers and the Utah Jazz, I did want to touch upon one additional general topic, and it's related to the Lakers standing pat. So recently, there's been this mantra that they've been sort of putting out there via various reports that no deal is better than a bad deal. The Lakers won't make a move unless that move makes them a championship contender, yada, yada. All of these things make intuitive sense. It's like almost like, yeah, duh, of course, that makes sense. But when it's coming from the Lakers, and as Tommy mentioned, we, we never really have a pulse on which direction they'll take. When it's coming from the Lakers, who we know... They don't want to be a luxury tax team. We know that they don't have the financial backing of, you know, owners like Steve Ballmer and Microsoft. Your mind tends to stray towards, are they using that mantra to cover the fact that they may not want to make particular trades that will cost them more luxury tax money this year, next year, the years after that? And... So it goes back to that thought of, Alan, I guess I'll ask you first, where, where do you stand on that? We won't make a move unless it makes us a championship contender mantra, because I feel like you can stretch that mantra for as long as you want to, right? Because yeah. it's very uh, subjective. Who, who, who's determining what makes a championship team a championship team right now? And if anything, Alan, the fact that they're saying that is already indicating to everyone that they don't think this current group is championship worthy with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And it isn't, right? But what they're saying on top of that is, based off of all the other deals that we've seen floating around, namely Miles Turner, Buddy Heald, the other thing it tells us is, if they don't pull off like the Indiana trade, it tells us that they don't trust that LeBron James and Anthony Davis can make the most out of players like Buddy Heald and Miles Turner who aren't perennial all-stars, but they're at least starter-level all-star caliber type players. And in conjunction with that, you're also getting rid of Russell Westbrook, right? So just going back to the initial question of, do you like that stance of no deal is better than a bad deal? We won't make a move unless that makes us a championship contender. Because at the end of the day, they could say that now, they could say that at the trade deadline, they could say that in the offseason. 
what deal is going to make us a championship contender? Unless it's Damian Lillard uh, trading for Jason Tatum, et cetera, et cetera. So, Alan, what are your thoughts on kind of that slogan and, and banner that they've put over this season and how it sort of ties to keeping Russell Westbrook through to training camp and maybe even midseason? Okay, so if it's about... Okay, so what makes us a championship contender? All right, we swung for the fences this last year by getting Russell Westbrook, another superstar, three-headed monster type of deal. We saw that that didn't work. So if the template is we need to find another star to have this three-headed monster again, that's what constitutes a championship contender. Um, Okay, yeah, I guess you can swing for the fences, and it kind of sounds like that's what they want to do. And if there's nothing like that in place, we're not doing anything, which is kind of insane because we already saw that this didn't work before. Now, in 2020, yes. we didn't have a three-headed monster. We had just a bunch of, as uh, Shaq and Charles Barkley like to say, a bunch of Jags, just another guy. We had ju- <laughs> uh, we had a bunch of just another guyses in 2020. Worked out pretty damn well, right? So uh, the Miles Turner buddy healed. I mean, they're kind of just another guys, but like plus that, especially Miles Turner. So um, I think that. That makes you closer to being a championship contender. I don't know if it wins you the freaking championship, but you're you're moving along, you know, linearly, like, mm-hmm. farther than we are right now. Um, now, do we want to make a bad deal? Like, there was a Daniel Tice thing that was going around, right? Um, that sounds like where they, like, drew the line in the sand, like, we're not trying to carry five centers on this team. Um, that's fine. Yeah, you, you, there's a little bit of prudency there that I think was used appropriately. But uh, if it's all or nothing, we're going for all-stars and Hall of Famers or bust, um, that's kind of a cop-out at the end of the day, right? Yes. If something like that doesn't uh, come into fruition, like, oh, well, you know, there's nothing out there, so whatever. That that cites a lot of like lack of creativity to me. Um, yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> Get some jags. <laughs> so I <laughs> So I agree with you, and I'm glad you brought up the Indiana thing. We'll get to the specifics on that later, because I feel like them talking about the Daniel Tice equation of it all was a cop-out in and of itself, because that assumes, Alan, that the Lakers even offered up two firsts in the first place, right? So I feel like the Lakers can hide behind, oh, we rejected this deal because Daniel Tice was in it. But it's like, well, did you even offer the two firsts in the first place? Because I'm pretty sure Daniel Tice is not going to be the sticking point for the Pacers if you've only offered one first. Does that make sense? So going back to your point about this not making a deal unless it's a championship-level move being a cop-out, by that standard, the Lakers are so far away from being a championship-level team that no move is going to move the needle enough for you And again, this only gives Rob the perfect excuse to keep kicking the can down the road. And I can't believe we're going to, we're thinking of doing that after just re-signing LeBron James to an an extension. And it almost makes me feel like we just signed LeBron James to stem the tide these next two years to continue selling tickets. You know, and that's really sad. Um, So Tommy, your thoughts on, yeah, this notion and the fact that the Lakers don't seem to take making incremental improvements seriously for some reason? I don't know. Yeah, I I mean, to get back to the original point of using the picks only to create a championship contender, I mean, like you said, it's just so vague. Like, anything could be a championship contender. The Indiana trade, in my opinion, 
would make us a championship championship contender. I don't know that it would, you know, that that would be the same as everybody's opinion. You know, the, I mean, you could even say that like some weird Utah trade with like Mike Conley coming back would make us a championship contender. Cause they, you know, they'll try to pretend that we're like, you know, a decade earlier in time or something all of a sudden. So, you know, it, it's just like, there's so many, it's a just wrinkle in a, time. Yeah. It's just like such an empty statement to me. Um, and it just feels like, you know, they're, like you said, it's it's almost a it's like they feel like they're being smart by saying that, but then it's like you're just self admitting that you have a team with LeBron and AD and you weren't <laughs> able to put together a championship contender because exactly clearly that's not what you currently have. So it's just so odd, and like not just that, but like you're willing you you know that, and you're willing to go into the season still not putting together a championship contender <laughs> just to save some draft picks for like long after LeBron is. Re- retired right so well do you also want to bring up the point of what everyone else in the league seems to be doing everyone else with less duos than lebron james and anthony davis granted lebron james and anthony davis are older more injury prone yada yada but it seems like everybody else has the right idea the idea that the lakers always pedal when they talk about their legacy in terms of it's all about winning yeah i mean you've seen what um cleveland just did obviously with the mitchell trade but other teams are looking to load up. Like, obviously, when KD was on the market, you know, there was rumored that Phoenix, although they've been, like, the number one seed two years in a row, like, um, you know, they were interested. So, like, it... Minnesota, Minnesota Atlanta Hawks, they're giving up, up, yeah, they're yeah. Giving up future picks yeah, for like additional Giving ammo, up so. two picks to get DeJounte Murray or whatever. I mean, it's just like, you, you, you're right. You look across the board... And teams are being super active because, I mean, even the Clippers last year, you know, acquired Norman Powell at the deadline, um, it, you know, to sort of gear up and get ready for this mm-hmm. season. So it it's just like kind of sad, dude. I mean, if you like look at the roster, we have 13 guys currently. We're going to be paying those guys with with uh, luxury tax um, about $200 million. That's like insane, and I feel like any other GM in the history of the league would have not even made it to camp if that's what if that's like the roster he served up to the owners at that time. So, yeah, that's that that's sort of my <laughs> thoughts on the, all of this. So my last point on this is, and this is how I how you know that Rob Palinka may be BSing a little bit with this mantra. It's because we know that he's willing to deal one first, right? And we know that if we have to offload Russell Westbrook with one first, we're likely not getting a championship level package back in return for that, right? But we know he's willing to do that so that he can save another first for the future. So if you know that you're going to get, if you can't even get championship level packages for two firsts right now, what makes you think that you can get a championship level package by splitting those two deals up? By offloading Russell Westbrook with one first and getting some starter level talent and then looking at your 2029 first and then trading it at the deadline or in the offseason and being like, like, that's not the, the, the pick that you save from not giving up both first is also not going to get you championship needle moving talent. But we know he's willing to make both of those trades separately. So it's kind of like calling him out on his bullshit, right? It's like, just make the best deal that gives LeBron James and Anthony Davis the best chance to make something happen this season 
obviously, caveats included, prudence included, etc., etc. Don't do anything that's so ridiculous. But from everything that we've seen, there are deals and configurations out there that sort of make sense. And so far, the Lakers, it hasn't been reported that the Lakers have even pushed both of their picks unprotected onto the table. So with that said, let's take it to break and then let's get more into where things stand with the Utah Jazz and the Indiana Pacers. So we will catch you guys after the break. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, so we are back. So the Donovan Mitchell trade happened. He's going surprisingly to the Cleveland Cavaliers, which is insane. Um, Sexton is going over to the Utah Jazz. And because of that, it was a sign-in trade. The Utah Jazz are now hard-capped. That obviously takes the Knicks out of any potential three-team dealings with the Lakers where they were supposedly going to offload Fournier's contract onto us and we'd give a first to the Utah Jazz and get some additional players from the Jazz, etc., etc. So now, as has been reported, it's pretty much the Utah Jazz, Danny Ainge, and the Indiana Pacers, Kevin Pritchard left. Uh, two GMs that we've had pretty sour dealings with in the past. And because it's Pritchard and Ainge, you can bet that both of them are likely trying to extract both of those picks unprotected from the Lakers. With regards to the Lakers protecting picks, I just wanted to add this caveat. Uh, They can protect both picks, but the team they're trading with will likely want those protections to be very light, like top three light, because if any of our protections kick in on either of those years, 2027 or 2029, because of the Stepien rule, because of the picks we owe to New Orleans and the pick swaps we owe them, and because of the rule that says you can't trade first-round picks seven years out, if the Lakers' protections kick in for either 2027 or 2029, so if, if the Lakers' protections kick in, let's say 2027 is top three protected and we suck and get the third pick, the team who we gave that pick to, the 2027 first, the first round pick will convert to two seconds. Essentially what happened to the Dwight Howard deal where we gave them initially future first round picks, but because it kept getting pushed out and because we were a tank team and kept getting in the lottery, like top two pick, those first that we traded to Orlando ended up becoming two seconds. And because these picks the Lakers are trading to another team are so far out, they're eventually going to convert to two seconds pretty much the next year if the Lakers retain those picks, if that makes any sense. Sorry if that's confusing. But just the summary of all that is, if the Lakers protect those picks, it's likely going to have to be a very, very light protection, and it's likely going to have to only be one of those picks that are protected. Tommy, do you have anything else to add on that end? I think I covered everything. Yeah, I think you covered it. The gist is that, like, because you can only go seven years out, like, it and the Stepien rule. I think those are kind of the two relevant for us. You know, you, we're sort of limited in, in how we can protect these picks and I guess the value of the picks. Obviously, you can always offer two unprotected. That's no problem. But usually nowadays, there's some sort of protection and that just creates like weird complications, I guess, based on our situation. Right. 
And so now we're in a situation where the Utah Jazz are hard capped. They are 1.7 million below the luxury tax line. They do not want to pay the luxury tax. And what that means is any trade that the Lakers pull off with the Utah Jazz just between them two, they will pretty much have to take back almost equal amounts of what Russell Westbrook's making, which is $47 million. Um, and then as it pertains to the Pacers, so this recent report came out from Michael Scotto that said the Lakers initially asked, or sorry, the Pacers initially asked for Russell Westbrook, two firsts, THT, and for the Lakers to take on Daniel Tice's contract, which is $8 million this year, $9 million next year, and a club option in 24-25. So essentially just two years. When this news hit, Lakers fans the world over were praising Palenka for not taking that deal. And look, I'm glad he didn't take the deal either because we were able to use THT and uh, turn him into Patrick Beverly instead. But what I'm confused about is why we're praising Palenka for a deal he supposedly rejected when, if we're going off reports, he has yet to even cough up both of those first to Indiana unprotected. So kind of like what I was telling Alan earlier, how can he reject Daniel Tice and two first-round picks when he hasn't even come to the table with the baseline package that teams have been requesting of the Lakers, both of their first unprotected? And now people are running away with the support and saying, Pritchard never really wanted to deal with the Lakers. He's just messing with them. He's trying to bleed us dry, et cetera, et cetera. But Michael Scotto, the, the reporter who actually reported these first details. Why, wait, what's, what's so funny about Michael Scott? Every time you say Scott? it, I think you're going to say Michael Scott. <laughs> Yeah. No, it's Michael Scotto. I'm sure he's gotten that joke multiple times. But Still Michael funny. Scotto, <laughs> Michael Scotto himself said that this was a very Michael Scotto himself. <laughs> Michael Scotto himself, Scott's tots, Scotto's tots. <laughs> said, Scotto's tots. <laughs> all right, here we go. All right. So Scotto himself said that this was a very initial offer, and that this was one of those offers where teams always start off with this very high bar and then can proceedingly go lower from there. It, would, it wouldn't make sense if the Indiana Pacers started with only asking for two firsts because that's inevitably the destination they want to end up in. So even though that report came out, even though Eric Pincus has stated the Pacers don't necessarily want to deal with Miles Turner and they could potentially take a wait-and-see approach with him for the rest of the season, that does not mean the Pacers won't deal with the Lakers. That does not mean the Pacers have stepped away from the table that does not mean the Pacers have drawn the line in the sand on you better take Daniel Tice. It's just them asking if the Lakers will do this. You know, it's default negotiating tactics. And the fact of the matter is, so far, we haven't heard that the Lakers have come to the table with two firsts. So for me, it's all kind of moot. And, you know, maybe, maybe the Pacers really don't want to deal with the Lakers and they're trying to really bleed them dry. But for me, until the Lakers have come to the table with both those first unprotected, and until we've heard the Indiana Pacers have rejected that offer, I think this deal, this deal is still alive. And if it's within the Lakers' power to make the deal happen with two first, I think they should do that. And also, people are making it, making it seem like the Pacers asking for Daniel Tice, for asking for us to take on Daniel Tice's contract is an insane ask. But actually, if you look at the incoming and outcoming salaries of this deal, the Pacers, in taking Russell Westbrook's $47 million on, would actually be taking $9 million more in salary because they're only giving back $38 million combined in Mouse Turner and Buddy Heald. So it would make sense that they'd want to make the salaries match a little bit closer. 
The only problem here is obviously that Daniel Tice has an extra year next year. Well, right. And also so does Buddy Heald. Right. But in the initial deal for that they proposed, they were willing to take on THT's contract, right? Which was $10 million. And then THT had a player option for $11 million next year. So in some senses, they were actually still saving us money this year and next year, right? So it's not that insane, even though it's not something that I would do. But I think now that the Lakers have been able to swing THT for Patrick Beverly, I guess my question to you, Tommy, is, well, do you have any thoughts on everything else I just said? But now that we have Pat Bev, we don't have to give up THT. Are you in a situation where you're willing to come to the table and, well, one, first offer up those two first-round picks to Indiana, and then two, see if you can work around taking Daniel Tice on from them. Maybe they give you two second-round picks as well to soften the blow and just finding a way to make this work for all parties. Yeah, I mean, I think the Indiana, if any form of the Indiana trade is on the table, that is one of the few options. That might be the only option, actually, that we realistically have where I feel comfortable using the two first. Um, the, I guess the only other option being the Kyrie thing that fell or that never really was going to happen, right? But I think people are sort of sleeping on the Indiana trade a little bit. I think, like, as we've seen in recent years, including when we won the championship a few years ago, you have to be a top three to five defense in the league to have a legit shot to win it all. If we're starting Miles Turner, Anthony Davis, LeBron, honestly, whoever, or I guess Buddy in this scenario, and Pat Bev, like, you have three guys in your starting lineup who are elite defenders in Miles, AD, and Pat Bev. You have Buddy, who's an elite shooter, and by the way, if you look at his metrics, like, he might not be that very good at the point of attack, but... He's not bad as, like, a, a chase defender or whatever, you know, if you, if you follow any of those stats that, like, Cran just posts from time to time. I just think that, like, that trade, like, you know, if you we were talking earlier about the championship contention thing, no, contention's never really guaranteed, but, like, if you, you know, to Jeannie's point in her recent interview she gave or, or whatever, like, you just have to be in the conversation. After that, it's sort mm-hmm. of, like, up to the universe. And I think that that trade puts you in the conversation. And yeah, it's like a little bit scary to get rid of these picks like far into the future. But I don't know. When you look at the picks we actually do have in some form, like I guess factoring and swaps, we're going to have 2023, one of a first round pick. Between 2024 and 2025, we're going to have one of those. We're going to have 2026, 2027, 2028, and 2029 as of now, right? So, like, we basically have every pick until 2029 except for one. Um, If we trade two more, we're still going to have half of our picks until 2029, you know? And I'm not, again, not suggesting we continue to give them away like candy. I just think that the trade makes sense. And I just think that if Daniel Tice is the holdup... This dude gets traded every year, and I feel like you have to be able to find like some sort of third-team scenario. I saw some people talking he's about he's going to end up on Boston again. He's going to somehow end up on Boston, <laughs> regardless. You know, you'd be like if you factor in that as a given, you should be able to work backwards and find a third team. Um, but you know, I, I read some rumors about like the Knicks being interested, and I just I guess the only comment I have on that is the Knicks just spent like $26 million in centers between Hartenstein and Mitchell Robinson. Not factoring in, by the way, Mitchell Robinson signed like a four-year extension. So they, I highly doubt they're going to be hunting like a $9 million third-string center. Um, 
But, you know, there's got to be something out there that's workable. And I guess, like, whether it's Tice or whatever, like, we need to figure out a way to make that work. And I I don't know. I think the trade is, like, ultimately pretty fair because two first-round picks, they get, you know, they take – part of that getting – them getting two first-round picks is, like, they take on a little extra salary, like, to your point. Um and then we take like the longer term salary, but we should still be able to like keep Miles Turner and keep Buddy Heald and stay under the repeater tax if that's like a goal for next year. So I, I don't know. I think the trade works on multiple levels. And again, you can just come to the table and negotiate these things like ask for two seconds back. The Lakers do better with second round picks anyways. You know what I'm saying? You could turn those into potential first round picks because of your scouting department. Um, my, my only last thought on this is, and it's a simple thought, but I, I wrote it on Twitter with regards to giving two firsts up for the Indiana deal or the jazz deal or any other deal that exists right now. Just look at it this way. Miles Turner is one of the best shot blockers in NBA history, multiple top five finishes in blocks per game and multiple, I think he finished number one in several years as well. So Miles Turner is already one of the best shot blockers in NBA history. Buddy Heald is one of the best three-point shooters in NBA history. He, out of his six or seven seasons, I think out of his six seasons, he has finished 39% or higher from three-point land in four out of those six seasons. And three of those, I believe, were above 40%. On top of that, Buddy Heald, I think, hit 1,000 three-pointers faster than Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Damian Lillard. He was the youngest to do so. That is one of the best three-point shooters in NBA history, okay? Can you say those things about any single other player in any of the other trade proposals? No, not even close. That's what I'm saying. You're getting back, like, elite talent. I mean, the whole theory of this Beverly trade, right, is you can sort of live with role players if they're really good at one thing. Patrick Beverly's really good at defense. You don't know if his shot's going to be there necessarily or whatever, but... You know that he is elite at defense, and that's what you're getting with these two guys. You're getting Miles, a guy who's elite defending also, even if he, even if he's not hitting his shot. And Buddy, you're getting an elite shooter. Um, so I just feel like it makes too much sense with, with the current roster. Yeah. Uh, Alan, anything else to add on the Indiana angle of things? Um, honestly, no. Not, not anything that hasn't already been said, but... Um... Yeah, I think the idea of having specialists in this sense, um, guys who you know when they play to their strengths, that's when they're at their best. You're not asking them to do too many things is, uh, I don't know, sounds like a pretty good way to build a team. So, um, yeah, I, I think that moving the two picks, I mean, that that's why the rule's in place, right? You can't literally just trade all of your picks. That's why they can only be done every other year. It can't be consecutive mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So, Tommy, I like the perspective that you kind of brought as far as like looking at the rest of this decade and how many picks we actually will have so giving up yeah um those two is not like some detrimental thing where i think a lot of people are kind of overvaluing it and the and the last thing i want to say about the picks too is like it's not again none of us are trying to suggest you just throw them away for nothing but or like you mortgage the future for now but i mean on that point that you kind of are you know what I mean? Like LeBron is on your team. You have him for two more years with AD. Like AD is still like in his prime. This is your window. You know, again, I you legit have a shot. Like, what good does saving you the picks? Like, you're you're also part of the trade. You know, it's like 
Sorry, I'm sort of all over the place, but the point I'm trying to make is like no. when you made the, when the Clippers made that Kawhi Paul George trade, for example. Excuse me, the Paul George trade. They traded like seven first round picks for this dude, six first round picks and swaps and all this stuff. And the entire justification was we're not just getting Paul George, we're also getting Kawhi because like doing this trade locks in Kawhi to sign here as a right. free agent. And it's sort of like the same thing now. Like, it's not just the literal players we're getting back. Like, doing this trade also gets you the hidden value of not wasting 50% of your remaining years with LeBron and, you know, wasting another year of 80s prime. It's like, these are also factors that, like, yeah, we're not technically getting it back from the other team, but it is something that, like, is a factor on our side. If, like, if we just stand pat, we just accept that, you know, we kept the picks, but we wasted an entire year of these guys, you know, uh, prime together. Yeah, exactly. So let's move on to the Utah angle of things. As I mentioned, if the Lakers want to singularly deal with Utah, they'll have to pretty much match. They'll have to take back players who make almost around $47 million of Russell Westbrook's current contract. And so here are the four iterations, essentially. You can take back Bojan Bogdanovic, who's expiring, Mike Conley, who is making, I believe, $23 million this year, $24 million next year, but it's only $14 million guaranteed. If you waive him 48 hours after the draft, he's off your team, but he eats up $14 million in dead cap space. But I guess you save $10 million because you waived him. So if you don't waive him 48 hours after the draft, the 2023 draft, he's on your books, he's on your team for $24 million and there goes all your cap space. There goes the cap space everybody's been talking about with the Lakers having traded THT away and they're now eligible for like $33 million. Well, if you have Mike Conley on your team and you choose to keep him through 48 hours after the NBA draft, you keep him through the season and there goes most of your cap space, right? So just keep that in mind. So I'll start over. There's Bojan, Conley, and Jared Vanderbilt. There's Bojan, Jordan Clarkson, Malik Beasley. There's Bojan, Conley, Rudy Gay. And then there's Bojan, Beasley, Gay, and Vanderbilt. All four of those iterations line up enough with Russell Westbrook's contract that it's doable. We'll probably have to add Wenyan Gabriel's non-guaranteed contract for uh, roster flexibility and whatnot, or just to make the roster slots work. But that's essentially where we stand. And Alan, how do you feel about... I mean, I think we've already talked ad nauseum about how we prefer the Pacers deal, right? But because Mike Conley's contract is so prohibitive and Danny Ainge will... I mean, the the Utah Jazz have 17 players right now. They actually actively have to get rid of their veterans and they'd also like to save some money. So we'd actually be doing Danny Ainge quite a big favor by taking the responsibility of Mike Conley and his contract off his hands. So I think there is a scenario where you can get off just trading one pick for trading one pick, Russell Westbrook, and whatever ancillary parts to the Utah Jazz as long as we take back Mike Conley and then Bojan Bogdanovic and Jordan Clarkson, Bojan Bogdanovic and Rudy Gay, Bojan Bogdanovic and Vanderbilt. So now that I've leveled the playing field in that respect and you know that, okay, the Pacers deal is going to cost two firsts. Maybe we have to take on Daniel Tice. The Utah deal, we have to take on Conley's contract, but it only takes one first. 
does that does that level the playing field for you anymore, or how do you stand on where how the Utah picture is looking right now? Uh, I, yeah, I think like your counter offer basically is is fair because we would be doing Danny Ainge a favor. Um, but as far as if you're asking like what would I rather do, like oh now we get to keep one of our future firsts as opposed to trading both to Indiana. Um, I'm still going to go with Indiana. And like you said before, mm-hmm. like we, we already talked about this a lot, which uh, scenario puts us closer to winning a championship. Hands down, it's the Indiana package. Um, so, yeah. So I, if it came down to us trading both firsts to Utah, though, um, <laughs> that really makes you scratch your head. Like, wait, 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 wait. What did we offer Indy? You know, like, what's the reason for that? Um, that, that wouldn't taste good at all. Um, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> just had to throw that absurdity out there, you know, just Well, in case. you'd hope that if that happens and we trade two first to Utah, you'd hope that it was on Indiana's end and they said, we're not doing the deal, right? But if right. it was yeah. the Lakers making that judgment call, like, oh, we'll take, if it's two first, we'll take the Utah package instead of the Indiana deal. Then you start to question your entire existence as a Lakers fan. <laughs> but uh, t- Tommy, any thoughts on how the Utah deal is now shaping up in light of the Donovan Mitchell trade? I think it's pretty unlikely that we get to a trade with Utah because of the Donovan trade. I mean, like Alan was sort of alluding to at the end there. I think like any trade with Utah with two first round picks is just not going to be worth it. If we trade one first round pick, I don't think it's going to be worth it from their perspective. So to get there, I think the only possible way is pretty much what you actually said at the beginning, Jonathan, about like it has to be something where we're cutting, you know, older vets off their roster and also saving them money and also not taking back too much long-term, you know, money. I think like Conley maybe they could like you know, work their way up to getting around that just because they could technically waive him and, you know, he is only guaranteed you said 14, yeah, 14 million. Um mm-hmm. so like maybe they are okay with something like that, but we would have to take back like Conley, Bogdanovich, and I think like Malik Beasley or like a, I don't even know if we would take back Jordan Clarkson because of his player option. So, you know, Malik Beasley, like, I don't even know if we take Rudy Gay because of his player option. So I, I don't know who else really we would take back, but we would have to be saving them significant money. And then honestly, even if we're if we're saving them significant money at some level, you wonder like how many picks do we re- like? It, maybe even just a protected first round pick gets you gets you um, out of there, and then you could try to reset the re- repeater next next year. But it's just like this trade just doesn't get you excited, right? Like these guys are not really going <laughs> to move the needle, and it's just like you're still going in. I guess you don't have Russ, and you have some potentially better roster fits, but it just seems so like sad. Okay, okay, so here's the new scenario. And also, good point. I don't know why I didn't add this to my list, but yes, you can trade for Bojan, Conley, and Clarkson. That's also one of the iterations. But Alan, here's a new iteration, or here's a new scenario. This is a choose-your-own-adventure. There's nothing... So the Lakers, let's say the Lakers are adamant they do not want to trade... Well, I guess that's, that's an easy thing. What was I going to say? Okay, let's say the Pacers do not want to deal with the Lakers, Right? And your only option is Utah 
or keeping Russell Westbrook. This also sounds like an easy option, but let's say your only option is trading two firsts because Danny Ainge is a dick for one of these packages. I think the best package, if you're going to trade two firsts, is Bojan, Beasley, Rudy Gay, and Vanderbilt because the only two contracts that extend into um, next year are Gay and Vando for a combined $10 million. And I know that doesn't include Mike Conley, but if... Danny Ainge knows he's getting the Lakers two picks. I feel like he would insert Vanderbilt and he would withhold Conley from us just because he knows those are two precious picks, right? So let's say it's Russell Westbrook goes into training camp with us or Danny Ainge says it's two picks. You get to pick your package of what you want. Just give me two picks. What are you doing? Russell Westbrook or the Jazz deal for two picks? Uh, So while one is uninspiring and not exciting... (laughs) The other one would, I think, uh, drive us up the wall crazy <laughs> if we retained Russell Westbrook, because uh, it just doesn't work. So, of those two adventures, I, I guess, God, would I take the less adventurous one and make that trade? Damn it! It almost feels like just doing something for the sake of doing something, right? And just right. Like this is where you that. get back to the phrase like, "Don't make a move just to make a move." Or are you making a move versus you know, just making a move versus making a bad move? Right? I don't know yeah. what the hell I was just saying there. <laughs> no, no, I followed all that. <laughs> <laughs> Some Michael Scotto stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's tough too, right? And I, I'm sure this is like part of the conversation in a few minutes from now, but. Like, what what does the world look like where Russell Westbrook is still on this team? I mean, yeah, there's been a lot of chatter about all of that. Um, So there is, like, a part of me that's wrapped my head around that possibility already. Doesn't mean I like it. let's, Let's enter that space, Alan. This is therapy, PTSD hour. You've thought about the possibility of Russell Westbrook being taken into training camp You've likely thought about the possibility of Russell Westbrook and Patrick Beverly playing together out on the court. I guess, how do you feel about that? And have you even gone down the rabbit hole of like, okay, if we're going to actually try, here's what I would do. Like, have you even gone that far down or no? I keep thinking like worst case scenarios of, I, I feel like there are, okay, so for example, when Montrezl Harrell, Schroeder, like that iteration right um that laker team followed the championship team we were so freaking excited about all those pieces right and the thing just freaking imploded guys weren't even playing at all like trez um dennis Schroeder couldn't put the ball a grape in the ocean you know and guys became like the worst possible versions of themselves in unthinkable Mm -hmm. ways so, like, my worst-case scenario is that happens to Pat Bev, where somehow he becomes complacent and apathetic and loses, like, all of what makes him him. I think that's highly unlikely, because that's just, like, who he is, but shit, I don't know. Like, what if the situation is just so untenable and uh, so toxic that he's just like, F this, I'm mailing it in. Um, yeah, like, that's crossed my mind. It's a good point because no matter how much Patrick Beverly's rabidness like wafts over Russell Westbrook, no matter how much of an influence, like good influence uh, Patrick Beverly has on Russell Westbrook, at the end of the day, this team is going to look at their win-loss record and be like, 
shit, it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter if we're having these great practices and battles. We're still five games below 500, and LeBron James and Anthony Davis are playing 43 minutes per game just to give us a shot in every game. Screw this. That's when you almost... That's when Patrick Beverly is like tornado-like personality can work against you, right? Because he's just so frustrated that we're not winning. And he's like, why the hell is this bozo on this team, right? I'm sure it'll start off fine and be like, oh yeah, hopefully I can influence and affect Russell Westbrook in the right way. And then once they see it not actually translating to wins, what's going to happen to this very fiery backcourt, you know? Uh, Tommy, any thoughts on if you've even gone down the rabbit hole? Okay, actually, Tommy, before I get to that, Alan didn't answer the question. Two picks for the Jazz trade? Damn it. Or Russell Westbrook, answer. Uh, for me, I sadly am keeping Russell Westbrook in that situation. I just Ooh. looking at the looking at the Jazz roster. There's no package I can come up with that justifies two first round picks. Just in my opinion, I mean, unless they're giving us literally one of these like young guys, like, like Walker Kessler. So like, even if even if Conley is not in it, and you get Vanderbilt, yes, I think even if Conley's not in it, even if you get mm. Vanderbilt, yeah. Okay, Alan, what about you, after hearing Tommy's answer? Well, the other thing I was going to add was, um, you know, we do have a coach in Darvin Ham who we've waxed poetically about and run through a wall for him. Never heard a coach speak like this before. So at the end of the day, like, it is different, maybe better leadership, and that's not to take anything away from Frank Vogel. But, um, you know, that that is something that I think has to be mentioned and remembered as well. So, uh, no, that, no. That can, no. that can walk me off my pessimistic <laughs> ledge, you know? Uh, I have refused to go down the rabbit hole of even thinking schematically what, well, just, what's the best position. I just took you position. with me a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I just refuse to even think about Russell Westbrook in different lineups. And yeah, I just hope a trade happens. But to, to, to Tommy's point, I've actually thought about maybe I would pivot if it did cost us these two firsts and you... I don't know, just try and make a side ancillary trade with one first instead versus it's not like you're committing yourself necessarily to these guys because none of these guys have multiple years, but it's just so we've been using this phrase a lot as the kids would say, it's just so mid. You're stacking mid guys on top of mid guys, right? And to know that you're giving up two firsts to Danny Ainge of all people and you're giving him control that far out scares the hell out of me too. So Screw it. I'm still saying, get the deal done. Get Russell Westbrook off my team just to be a little bit different. Uh, so to close this episode, I want your guys' predictions. We're only like three weeks out from training camp at this point. What deal is happening? Is it no deal? Is it the indie deal? Is it the Utah deal? Is it a dark horse deal with the San Antonio Spurs who have cap space or the Charlotte Hornets and our good pal Mitch who have the requisite amount of salary to trade us for Russell Westbrook's contract? And I want you to think of it in the sense of not what you want to happen, because obviously Tommy said, I would pivot if it were the Utah deal and we had to give up two first. I honestly am not sure if Rob Polinka would pivot. Everything this summer has says that he would pivot, but who knows when we get to that point, that desperate point. So, Tommy, let's start with you. Your prediction of what the deal is generally going to look like if there is a deal at all. If there is a deal at all, I think it's going to be something with Utah where we give up a first round pick and we take back Mike Conley and they try to make us, they try to brainwash us and incept us and make us think Mike Conley's 10 years younger than he is. 
and <laughs> and Bogdanovich. And then maybe some like random dude. I don't know. They've got all these random guys at the bottom of their roster. So something like that. I think if there is a trade, something like that. But I think that's why I, I personally think it's more likely Russ just stays. Mm, scary. Alan, what about you? Yeah, I'll make it short and sweet. I think Russ, Russ is on this roster in three weeks. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What the hell? Okay. Um, my prediction is I'm still going to go against the grain. I say Good, the Lakers. These, these options suck. I know. So my prediction is the Lakers give up the 2027-2029 first unprotected to the Indiana Pacers for Miles Turner, Buddy Heald, Daniel Tice, and we get two Pacers future second round picks back. It's a way, a way to sort of you know grease the wheels a little bit. And we have Miles Turner and Buddy Heald. There we go. Let's do this. And Daniel Tice for some reason, but whatever. <laughs> um, you know what? That's fine. <laughs> Let's get another setter. Who gives a shit? I mean, we wanted Daniel Tice last year, but I guess that's, that's not saying true. much. Guy can shoot the ball. <laughs> Daniel Tice can play some four too, dude. Don't worry. <laughs> he's gonna play. He's gonna play small forward on this team next to Thomas Bryant and Miles Turner. Yeah, that's true. Actually, we could just slide AD down to the backup three, and then have Tyus play four, and then have Thomas Bryant uh, as a floor a floor stretching five. What about Damian Rob Palinka's like Rob Palinka's like you bastards wanted six nine guys. Here you go. <laughs> I'll do you better. Why would you want six nine? You could have seven foot. Every position seven foot. <laughs> All right. With that said, that'll do it for this episode. Uh, I guess stay abreast of everything. Keep your butt cheeks clenched because Labor Day weekend is here. And I think September 4th is the official date that some of the Minnesota Timberwolves who got traded to the Jazz can be aggregated into larger deals. So that's Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt. Although any deal can happen right now in principle. But regardless, we should expect something, a more definitive something or a more definitive nothing in the coming weeks. So with that said, we will catch you guys next time. Uh, Tommy, Alan, see you later. Peace. Peace. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.